following program is produced by the Align in the Sound team. If you like what you hear, please stick around at the end of the show. To find out more, contact us and contribute towards a positive future. We're at the Huonville Environment Centre's 10th birthday festival here in... Uh... It's not Loana, is it? Where are we, Ali? Lonavale. Lonavale. <laughs> We're with Ali and... Uh... You've, uh, you've been doing a little bit of work with the uh, Huonville Environment Centre lately? Yeah, since um, 2003 actually. I've just been involved with several of the Huon Valley Environment Centre's campaigns, especially down in the Huon. It's where I first met you, yes, down in the world. That's that was right, yes. One of our stellar campaigns there. <laughs> Got a moratorium for a massive area, and then after the moratorium, they decided, Forestry Tasmania decided it wasn't worthwhile keeping around. And um, now parts of that valley still after the government's decided and <clears throat> pitched it as part of the 430,000 hectares that would not be logged under any condition or under any circumstances. Now it's up for the grabs again, even though $276 million of taxpayers' money across Australia has been put forward to the state government by the federal government to ensure a hasty exit from these areas and to ensure that if these areas and the quota that was going to come out of these areas was not going to be able to be met from anything outside these areas, then uh, financial reimbursement would be paid to the parties involved and they would be given financial compensation. There would never be any logging. That was what we heard on August the 7th last year, but as we now know, it's a very different story. Yeah, right. So did they put that down in writing or anything? Yes, yes, they did. It was called the Intergovernmental Agreement and it was signed in between the federal and the state governments. Uh, Prime Minister Julia Gillard's signature was on it and our esteemed Premier Lara Giddings' signature was on it. Yeah, right. So how does that work? Do they Have they written themselves a, a specialist toothless tiger or are they able to get away with it or are there some sort of sanctions they can get if they, if they break well, their own word? There are several uh, organisations looking into the legal bindings of that agreement but because the agreement was within the two parties and the subsequent follow-up agreement which is now called the Interim Conservation Agreement which was to come out of the initial intergovernmental agreement <laughs> um, because that has stipulated and they are now both the parties are satisfied that yes they need they think and they're going against their word to the rest of Australia that they need to go into these areas that it might be legally binding and that is all right. Um, as I said, there are institutions and there are organisations looking into the legal aspects around these things. I'm not really up on it enough to be able to say whether it is illegal, but I can certainly say that it's unethical to be making a commitment to the people of Australia, and especially to the people of Tasmania, to start millions of dollars flowing down, 35 million of which have already hit Tasmanian shores and have gone to the logging industry and we have seen no conservation outcome. Not one mm. single bit of forest protected. Yeah, right. So is that a new thing, government money going to logging companies? No, it's certainly not a new thing. This is one of the most expensive forest estates on the planet. Uh, I believe last year in some uh, parliamentary hearings on the Scottsdale sawmills and the plantation estate which was being managed by Forestry Tasmania, uh, the government had already given them somewhere up to uh, $550 million dollars uh, <coughs> to run that plantation estate which was extremely expensive and to run the forestry sector we have seen millions and millions of dollars coming into from taxpayers funds coming into Forestry Tasmania to keep them afloat when they have been making phenomenal losses over the last three years so no this is not the first time that we've seen the federal and the state governments uh, prop up 
a, not only a dying industry but a mismanaged dying industry that is absolutely working against the interests of Tasmania in the long run. Yeah, right. So I guess in this in this capital capitalist age of uh, you know, if you can't make money, you should just go bust. Uh, what, what's your theory on why they might be doing this? It seems absurd. Well, there's a lot of different things at play at the moment. There are theories that are saying that the Labor government, because it's so shaky, especially on the eastern seaboard across the across Australia, that they need a victory out here. They need to ensure that Tasmania will not go liberal, and hence they are pitching this forest agreement as one of their great successes. The other thing is that the big backing for Labor in Tasmania is the CFMEU and um, the TFCA, which is the Tasmanian uh, uh, Forestry Cons um, Sorry, I apologise. The Tasmanian Forest Contractors Association. And um, they need their backing and so they're looking to get them money because the writing's on the wall. The writing's been on the wall for ages. This is a dying industry. There is no money in wood chipping anymore. There's no money in native forest harvesting anymore. And this is just the old guard staying in business because they've got no other way to and the only way they've got to ensure uh, that their politics is still relevant in this day and age is to polarise this state and to keep the people undereducated and to keep the people involved in an industry which is hazardous to Tasmania's future and to our current environment and to make sure that the community stays polarised so that if you're not voting for the Greens you're voting for the Lib uh, Labour Party. And uh, the problem with that situation is, though, that they're driving our economy and our state's politics and our evolution into the ground, basically because we haven't been able to get anywhere in the last 15 years. We're locked into this debate, we're locked into this argument, but as long as the debate stays polarised, as long as they've got some measure of power and they can execute that power on the rest of the state, they keep getting their votes and their seats. As I drive around the state, I see blue gum plantations all over the place. Um, you got any idea what the blue gum wood is like? Is that like for sawmill use? Well, there's a lot that is going to the plant, uh, sawmills from plantations. Actually, at the moment, our local sawmills aren't receiving much from native forest. Our native forest industry, whereas it was driven by Guns Limited's agenda, their wood chipping agenda, where for years we were told and the uh, and the rest of Australia was told that no wood chipping is just value adding and then it turned out that up to 85% of the produce coming out of the coops was wood chips hence it can't be called value adding when that's your most prolific product and that's what you're going in for now the same thing is happening with veneer and the ironic thing is we've moved from Guns Limited which was a local based rapacious entity to Tyan um, which is a company which is uh, based in Sarawak and uh, is headed by one of the most corrupt timber lords and um, one of the richest people on the planet, Mohammed Taib Sapawis, and uh, his organisation, and who have got a really terrible track record in Sarawak, where they're from. And they're, uh, the parent company, Grand Pacific, is uh, being investigated for many human rights and environmental uh, <coughs> rights um, violations in their own country. Now basically the state government in trying to keep Tasmania locked into a forest industry which doesn't work has found that because Guns Limited has almost really gone bankrupt at the moment, I mean no one still knows whether their pulp mill permits are legal or not, uh, the construction permits thereof, they've gone to Tyan 
and they're trying to secure Tyann's existence in Tasmania so that they can keep a native forest sector alive when everyone all over the world is moving away from native forests. I mean, no one in their right minds in this day and age wants to buy products sourced from native forests which are sourced unsustainably, which are aiding the further degradation of our global climate. It's just not in the game anymore. You know, no one wants it. And they're actually going so far as to pitch to their buyers overseas that this is an environmentally sound product that they are value adding to the local industry. Well, they're not. You go out to the coops in Tasmania and you can pick any of the 31 coops that are now in the intergovernment, in, in the intercon, sorry, interim conservation agreement, and you will see saw log piles sitting in the coop rotting. The thing that are being, the product that is being moved out is veneer quality stuff for Tyann. There is no sawmill industry at the moment. We've got McKay's Timber Yard that's stocked to the max. They can't accept anything more. They can't sell anything more. We've got Artec up north who are the only wood chipping entity left in the state and they're not accepting anything anymore because their wood chip piles are massive and stocked to the hilt. So there's only one thing that is receiving timber from Tasmania's local forests, native forests, and high conservation value, globally renowned high conservation value native forests, I might add, and that is Tyann, Tasmania. And so there is only one entity, and it is the agenda of one entity that is driving the entire native forest sector at the moment. And it's taking out all of the contractors. I've got contractors talking to me that, you know, basically they can't come out into the open and say these things because they're worried that the little chance they have of getting out of the industry with these exit packages will be gone if they openly say it but they know that they're not sourcing wood for local sawmills anymore they're not even sourcing wood for the old wood chip giant anymore they're sourcing wood for Tyan Tasmania and it's being sold as this environmentally friendly eco veneer eco flooring bill across the board but as we've seen with international plywood now who have publicly admitted that the concerns of the environmentalists and the conservationists from Tasmania were much more um, convincing than what Brian Green, our Deputy Premier, who's recently taken it upon himself to be the spokesperson for the entire native forest industry uh, internationally, unfairly so, um, they did not believe him and they said that he was not as convincing as the conservationists as the, and as the environmentalists, a lot of who were from the Huon Valley Environment Centre, our own Jenny Weber went abroad to talk to these people, to the buyers in Japan, and we sent a delegation to the uh, to International Ply because Markets for Change, another organisation, did some great work in following Tassie timber from our local native forests, which was going all the way to England where it was going to be used for the Olympics. And we brought it to the attention of International Ply, and International Ply subsequently rejected the contract with Tyann and is not accepting any of their products. So, you know, it's 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 everywhere. Everyone knows it now and it's just being kept in the old guard are keeping the native forest industry in Tasmania going even though everyone realizes that the best thing for Tasmania, the best thing for the world would be to protect native rainforest and to keep it in the game, to take it out of the game, I'm sorry, of forest harvesting and move to a totally plantation-based industry. Mm. Now the moratorium area, how big was that again? It was initially the demand, our demands were 572,000 hectares of native forest would go into moratorium to be assessed. Mm -hmm. um, it was then brought down to 430,000 hectares would receive immediate protection mm -hmm. under the 
um, IGA under the intergovernmental agreement, and if any of those forests were not able to be like the sort, what was going to be resourced from them, if the contracts were not able to be allocated outside those forests, then the compensation would be paid. Unfortunately, now we're seeing that it's going to be even less than we're not. They're not even talking about 572,000, which is what we went to the table with. They're now talking about approximately 410,000 hectares. So not only are they going against everything that were our demands and were the good faith that we showed by going to the table in the first place, but they've now reneged on their own word. So is all of that area up against the World Heritage Area down here? A lot of it is, is like it's extreme. It's contiguous with the World Heritage Area. Mm. Can you uh, sort of describe the, the sort of topography of, of where this stuff is? Because we're talking about the, the Florentine Valley, the Styx Valley, the Weld. Well, areas of the Weld, the Picton, um, the sticks, Mount Mueller, where Miranda Gibson is at the moment at the observatory. Um, these are dense pockets of rainforest. Many of them are old growth wet sclerophyll, but a lot of these areas are rainforest. You know, some of these areas haven't even seen a fire through them. And so basically, uh, they're wooded landscapes, um, extremely dense, wet sclerophyll, a lot of them are on the transition in between wet sclerophyll and rainforest forests. Uh, there you get a lot of uh, you know mixed species in there apart from our beautiful regnans and obliques that have made their major stands. You've got myrtles, young myrtles coming up everywhere. And this is down the south if you go up to the northwest because there's four coops in the Tarkine still listed. I mean that is dense old growth myrtle. This is myrtle that has been there for six, seven hundred years. And what are they pulling out of an old growth myrtle forest? Myrtles. Just for okay. veneer? Just for veneer. Mm. And it is driving Tyan's industry. Tyan's got two uh, facilities, one in the north and one in the south, and uh, there's going to be myrtles. And there, there are stands of delicatensis, eucalyptus delicatensis, around the myrtle forest, like on the perimeters of, but basically in the Tarkan, these are dense myrtles and there's lots of special species in there that they're going to be pulling out. So by special species, I mean special species, rare eucalypts, um, rarer than the other ones. Mm. And uh, it's, just, it's, a, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Like it makes no sense whatsoever to be doing that. Now back home in New South Wales, they, uh, they go in and they pull out the sort of bigger logs that they want and they trash the bush a bit with their forders and everything and, um, and take off leaving the smaller trees there. Uh, they don't sort of do it that way here, do they? No, no. I mean, even here, even when you see our so-called aggregated retention, um, you'll go to a coop that's, say, about 90-odd hectares, and you'll see two strips maybe 30 metres long, 5 metres wide of uh, celery top or something like that, which is a special species, or if they've got a wedge-tailed eagle nest that, you know, 50 people have found and reported it to forestry again and again so they can't get away without with not putting it into their local uh, forest practices plan or the, the forest practices plan for the coop, then they have to leave these little buffer zones around things. And even what they call strip felling is absolutely ridiculous because yes, they might strip fell these areas, but in Tasmania, we are blessed by having such a forward thinking forestry practices center that decides that even after it's retained certain areas within the coops, it's going to bomb them with napalm and high intensity burns and basically take away anything that you've tried to retain in the area. So you get 90 hectare burnt out bombshells 
and that supposedly aggregated retention. 90 hectares. Well, what sort of... Can, can you give us an example of something else that might be 90 hectares, just so that people can sort of visualise it? Because hectares are a pretty unvisual thing. Well, I mean, okay, to put it into example, like, you know, this, the, most, the most common coop that you'll have is roughly, you know, 30 to 40 hectares. That's your most, that's one of the most common coops. I mean, we've got bigger 90 hectare coops out in the sticks and stuff, which are a bit further out that people can't see. But in the smallest coops that we've got, which are about 30 hectares, that's roughly about, what, 10 football levels? Hmm. Okay. About that? Yep. E even more? Hmm. And... Small suburb sort of size. Yeah. 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 And that's, you will see that firebombed. You know, there's nothing left, nothing that survives in there. And that's the key point. They say that they are regenerated forests after they bomb them and leave them to come up in their 80 year cycles. No, they're not regenerated forests. They're regenerated eucalypts. That's your young blue gums coming back in. And that's because they're a hardy species. The forest is a lot more than one species of a tree. So the entire ecological diversity of the area, some mosses and ferns that will never ever come back there again. And when you bomb it, with a high-intensity thing that is only aimed to bring back your hardwoods, you're not regenerating the forest. You're regenerating one or maximum two species. Yeah, right. So I guess um, going back again to the, uh, the the area down here where it's where there's most of it. What's what is the World Heritage Area? I mean, there's this vast swathe of Tasmania in the in the southwest here that you can't drive into. We've got 360 odd thousand hectares. Um, down south of it. Uh, the total, I believe, like with the World Heritage Extension areas, we would have two that we've proposed, which would include all of these forests. That was a proposal that went out in 2009. There would be 2.3 million hectares of uh, World Heritage area. So could I get you to just describe the sort of topography? There's a big plateau, I'm led to believe, uh, haven't actually been up there, which is mostly heath and woodland coming from the, the western coast of Tasmania up and then it drops off into valleys, is that right? Yes, yes it does. It, uh, it comes up about the 800 metre line and that's when we see the forests actually take hold from the plains, from the escarpments and that's your tall tree forests. That's what we're fighting for at the moment, that's the rainforest and very conveniently for the forest industry all of that has been left out of that boundary, that World Heritage boundary, and which is why we get the situations where you've got the World Heritage area, the boundaries of the world, the boundaries of the World Heritage area, and within 20 meters of that, there's logging. So, what we're talking about is the rainforest wooded areas, which run contiguous with the World Heritage areas, and those are the places, and which is why it's so hypocritical and absolutely, you know, counter-effective to conservation to log these places. These are the places which are the water catchment areas. I mean, in some areas down south, we've got the World Heritage Area coming down the hillside, like you said, off the plateaus, coming down to the wooded forest areas, and then the waters that are flowing through them go back into the World Heritage Area for a little bit. And so these places, which are the water catchment for that, are getting absolutely polluted and trashed and then flowing back into the World Heritage Area. Yeah, I guess you can imagine what a sort of suburb-sized bonfire, would there'd be plenty of runoff off that, wouldn't there? Oh, it's absolutely ridiculous. And I mean, you know, luckily enough, they've stopped, well, not luckily, people fought tooth and nail for this, but now they can't 
regenerate native forests to plantations. They have to let them regenerate to native forests. But I mean, as I said before, it's not going to regenerate to your beautiful wet sclerophyll forest or your rainforest. It's going to come back with a couple of eucalyptus species and start the whole millennia-long slog towards the rainforest or even wet sclerophyll if it gets to it. Um, the other thing about the massive firebombing is that it's putting a ton load of carbon into the air. Carbon that has taken millennia to secure in the forest floor. I mean, these are high intensity burns, you know, they're not someone with, and I mean, the, the opposition that we hear sometimes is just really, really sort of, um, you know, uneducated from my opinion and ill-informed is that, oh, the indigenous land pr management practices were much the same. Well, the indigenous peoples weren't flying around in helicopters with napalm securing areas and burning everything in sight you know if anything it was low intensity ground cover scrub fires that were just going through the area and burning out before they could do anything major damage it was more of a clearing fire they weren't reducing eucalypt myrtle other established rainforest species to nothing yeah, you've got to do quite a lot of work to get a myrtle forest to burn. Yeah, you? you've got to do a ton of work. I mean, first you've got to log the shit out of it. Sorry. But you've got to absolutely destroy it, bring it down to the ground, put it in wind furrows, bulldoze everything around it, make sure it's really, really dry because you haven't left a scaring a moss or fern in the area. And then you've got to use napalm in a circular fashion in, outside in to basically create a mushroom cloud so it incinerates everything. I mean, that's, that's very different to a bushfire. Like I, the only a place that has seen bushfires like this would have been Vietnam, and even they were man-caused. So, I mean, there's nothing natural about these practices, and they're touted as the world's best practices, but I, mean, I, I implore people to come down to Tasmania in autumn, and you can be getting off the boat in Devonport, and you'll see the haze of smog coming over the western ranges from down south. You know, last stop off, and it's just incredible. Like, we've got 14 to 15 mushroom clouds per autumn here and for that time we've got the worst air on the planet during those days and yet they let it happen and you know it's even if people aren't like people say that these are all greeny issues and greeny concerns well the base factor of it is you've got people living across the valley from these areas uh, right now where we are in Lonneville right now I mean you yourself you pass several homesteads several houses it was logging just over the hill. There's a couple of coops in the Russell Valley, which is over the backside here. They're, they're up for logging. And we have no practice after the logging, which does not involve high intensity burns. And I mean, once again, this isn't being done because our state relies on it. This is, you know, that across the board, there's gonna be occupations and cultural heritage lost. No, this is one company, one company that's doing this and it's just absolutely ridiculous for us we're driving ourselves into the ground we're taking away anything that makes Tasmania unique in this day and age well we could be a bastion of education and environmental management but no what are we we're just sellouts we're nothing more than sellouts to a company that should not be operating anywhere in the world let alone the first world and the first world with educated intelligent people as part of the electorate you know, it's just, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, it sounds pretty crazy. So you, you sent a delegation over to uh, 
or someplace overseas that you mentioned earlier. What, what else has the Huon Valley Environment Centre been doing over the years? Well, the Huon Valley Environment Centre has got like a two-pronged effort. Um, one is that we work in a direct action capacity to stop day-to-day -day logging and day-to-day -day further degradation of our natural environment. And the second effort is we do a lot of community work, a lot of uh, regeneration work. We uh, go out to people's farms and free of charge. We do water testing for them. We do we conduct workshops where uh, sustainability, sustainable living workshops, sustainable gardening workshops. We try and get a lot of intelligent, uh, progressive thinkers from around the planet to come in and deliver talks in Tasmania, but also specifically in the Huon Valley just to open it up to everyone and to make people in the Huon Valley realise that they're sitting on something that is absolutely unique in this day and age. You know, and there are basically... The problem with the Huon Valley is that they have now made it... The successive Labour governments have crafted this entity where in the Huon, if you want to go beyond grade 10 in education, you've got to travel an hour and a half on a bus to do it. That's the first thing. That's how they ensure that there's a steady work base. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. We've seen this happen again and again. This is how they're ensuring that there's a steady working base that drops out of education at year 10 and goes to work in one of two rapacious industries, one which is forestry and the second which is aquaculture. And that is their two-pronged effort at absolutely destroying the human. And it is this beautiful, alluvial, fertile part of the world and it's absolutely spectacular with its forests and with the land that has been converted into farming land. If it remained as it was, it could be, as I said before, it could just be like a bastion of environmental management. It could be at the forefront of environmental management policy framing. And yet, you know, they just keep pushing it to the point where we've got nothing here left in the Huon Valley for us. Like if someone gets out of grade 10, if they don't want to be on the dole, they've got to work for, they've got to go to work for one of these two industries if they want to stay in the Huon. They don't want to, do that, they have to move out to Hobart or to Melbourne. But if you want to stay in the area and you actually you just want to you know earn a steady wage, that's what you're going to do. If you if you're opposed to that, then you do what we do, which is you raise concerns, you go out to people's farms, you work on organic farms, you work on sustainable living practices, and we have now been extremely uh, effective and we've been quite successful with gathering a sustainable living community. Like, um, I, you know, I'll, I'll boldly say that 45% of the human is now employed in sustainable um, business ventures. And that's been one of our great achievements because, you know, a lot of the times we haven't had the direct money to set up these or businesses or organisations, but our campaigning and our persistence has led to a lot of people basically realising for themselves that the information that we're delivering to their doorsteps is right. And so... That has been a major focus for us. Apart from that, you know, we, we conduct our direct action campaign ceaselessly and tirelessly. Jenny Weber and Adam Burling, a lot of the other people, too many to mention, um, they've been at the forefront and constantly persistent. They've, we've been sued a couple of different times. We, got, we were sued by Guns Limited twice. Once was the entire organization was sued. The second time, members of the organization were sued. And, you know, we, we stood our ground. We did not buckle to guns. And in the end, guns ended up having to give us money. So, <laughs> you know, they had to pay, up, pay us out for basically 
doing what we do. And uh, like Jenny said before, people argue that we're funded by the Greens, we're funded by Twees. Well, we're not actually. When it comes down to it, we're funded by the companies we beat <laughs> because they take us to court to shut us up. And when we don't shut up, they have to pay us money. So, and we use that money quite effectively, I might say, against them, <laughs> uh, to the point now that we've almost driven guns down to the into the ground. Their share prices are at a record low, and you know they're not wood chipping. The wood chipping giant, which was controlling Tasmania and Tasmanian politics, is not wood chipping anymore. That's basically what we do. We try and make sure that there will be a Tasmania as we know it for the future, and we try and make sure that people who have a corporate agenda people that have a rapacious anti-environment, anti-sustainability corporate agenda, they are not the single force which are driving political and industrial policy. We try and make sure that at every moment in time people are aware of their power and aware of their responsibilities as democratic citizens and that we execute that power and we ensure what goes on in our backyards. Nice one. Sounds fairly comprehensive. Uh, if people listening to this would like to give you a hand somehow, what would they do? Well, first and foremost, like I'm always trying to get people to realise their democratic powers. Like We are really, really lucky that we are in a part of the world where we can approach our parliamentarians. And that luck comes with responsibility. I mean, there are people all over the world that just for having a say of what their entire government is, even having a political opinion, they're incarcerated if not executed. We, however, can approach our own parliamentarians and talk to them. So first and foremost, I would appeal to people, start writing to your parliamentarians. Tell them that Tasmania is an issue. Tell them that these forests and this area is like unlike any other on the planet. And it's extremely important, it's extremely important that we protect Tasmania and we protect this part of Australia for the future. Second thing, if look at the observatory www.observatory.org look at um, nativeforest.org look at hewan.org these sites will put you in the right path if you want to do more letter writing if you want to know about the com uh, comprehensive details about the companies that are involved in um, the destruction of Tasmania's natural environment and you know if you're not if you're not if you don't have technology that's accessible or if you're not wanting to go to your parliamentarians i understand not a lot of people are very you know public about their opinions that's fine please just come down to tasmania and see what it's all about just go out to these places and form a personal connections form your own personal connections and just tell the people around you you know for every person that talks to their family they're talking to at least four other people those four other people are just the the idea and the education just goes grows exponentially and what we really need right now are people to stand up and honestly take a stand be it in any way whether from just writing letters to your local papers to the national media to international media to your local parliamentarians to your federal parliamentarians if you can't if you don't want to do that if you want to have a more proactive approach then come down to tasmania walk these forests with us Get out there, help us set up, set up our blockades. And, you know, if you're willing, really willing to go out there and you want to live in these forests for a while, we will accommodate you and we will show you some of the most spectacular things that you will ever see in your life. Absolutely. From having done it myself, you also made a pretty bloody good mob. <laughs> Thank you, Scotty. And, yeah, exactly. You got great people like yourself coming down. And it's, it's just, 
Look, being out there in the forest, it's just incredible. It's amazing. There's no way that you can't evolve once you're out there. You know, it's just not possible. And that's just the basic thing. It's the basic thing. It's just for so many people, they come down here and, you know, they, they might not have uh, views which oppose native forest harvesting, but they come down here and they see that and they go, well, that's, that's an 800-year-old tree I'm standing next to, you know, that... That's that's a thousand year old tree I'm standing Actually, next I to. I remember seven years ago uh, when I came down to the weld. I only spent I think three or four days in there, but uh, I nearly got hit in the head by a wood duck, and some uh, some baby pygmy possums fell on my head out of a tree fern. It's very uh, very abundant <laughs> the, uh, wildlife down here. It's quite amazing for a mainlander. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you did. Have, you had the you had the good tour, the intensive tour of three days. <laughs> All right, Ali, thank you very much. No, thank you very much, Gary. Thank you, everyone. You have been listening to an episode of A Line in the Sound, the podcast made by Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, Co-Canberra for short, the New Economy Network of Australia, or NINA, and radio behind the lines from Community Radio to X 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Co-Canberra is working towards a cooperative Commonwealth. Our work builds strong communities, extensive commons and a network of climate cooperatives. The New Economy Network of Australia is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. Behind the Lines has been running for well over 30 years on Canberra's oldest community radio station, 2XX. We do extended interviews with anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. All three are volunteer-run, so if you like what you heard on this episode, join us and become the media. To join up with the New Economy Network of Australia, sign up at neweconomy.org.au. To help out with Behind the Lines, or to help our editing team finish off a mountain of good Australian New Economy info, which includes editing training, contact us at behindthelines98.3 at gmail.com and see 2XXFM.org.au where you can subscribe, donate and volunteer to Australia's only alternative voice, Community Radio. If you're not in Canberra, there's definitely one near you. To help out with CoCanberra, contact us at info at cocanberra.org.au That's C-O-C-A-N-B-E-R-R-A.org.au or come along to our monthly meetups, which we share with Nina Canberra Regional Hub, where we explore any and all aspects of the new economy. Find out what we're up to at cocanberra.org.au. And finally, if you want to help fund me, Scotty, to go full-time with this and lots of other related work, look up LiberaPay, L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y, and search for Community Supported Scotty. From there, you can find out about all my other projects and donate to help create a new, appropriate economy. Thanks.